Hey everyone, how was your Thanksgiving? Did you socially distance? Did you wear masks? Did you eat too much? And really, how is that different than any other day? I think every day has become Thanksgiving for me, unfortunately. So, I don't know, am I the only one who's eating their feelings? I don't think so. Are we becoming a nation of fat, functional alcoholics? Possibly. But at least there's a vaccine on the horizon. We probably won't be able to get it until spring or summer. Cross fingers. And then maybe we can all leave our house. Because we're all dying to leave our house. No pun intended. Um, we are all so anxious, so ready to leave our house. Except for one guy. One guy, and I know you, you know who it is, one guy really does not want to leave his house right now. But by January 20th, he's going to have to. And we will all breathe a sigh of relief as the new administration comes in. Maybe we can get, I don't know, a plan in action instead of a plan of inaction. Anyways, today on the show, I have Selena Moschel. She has a very interesting life. She is a dancer. She's actually Cheryl Mann's sister, who I interviewed on my last show. And she was going to become a biologist and save the oceans. But, of course, dance just pulled her back in. So she did some dancing for a touring Broadway company. I'll let her tell you about it. And now she directs social media branded content, which is really interesting. Um, it's probably a great starting place for lots of directors nowadays. So if you want to get into directing, maybe start with that um, because they're so short form and you can just learn so much in such a short period of time. I'll be perfect. Okay, here's the show. So today I have Selena Moschel and Selena, what would you call yourself? A dancer, an actor, an aerialist? That's, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, I have been a little bit of everything, um, but in my current iteration, I guess the closest thing is uh, I'm a director for film and a creative producer for live events. But in the past, yes, I have identified as a dancer and an aerialist and um, an environmental activist. I went to school for environmental studies and marine biology. So it depends on when you ask me <laughs> as to what I, what I would say I am. Okay, so right now you would consider yourself a director. Yes. And what are you directing right now? Right now I'm directing a lot of commercials. I've directed over 250 social media and broadcast commercials. And um, most recently we just premiered yesterday uh, a dance film for a ballet company here in LA. 
Um, and then the week before that, we produced uh, my company, Miko Mio Productions. We produced a uh, film for Universal Music for one of their artists um, that I can't talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, right now I'm, I'm directing and, and producing um, just whatever content comes our way, kind of. It happens to be skewed towards dance right now. I'm, um, I'm about to do a shoot for California Ballet in San Diego. So it's, it's dance heavy at the moment, but, um, before COVID we were heavy in commercial production. So commercials for DoorDash and Facebook and public storage and, and a lot of, um, corporate entities like that for social media. Um, so yeah. That's really cool. That's quite like a little niche that has come around since the, I guess the popularity of social media and them using yeah. like little yeah. short films to promote because the the platform itself has such a short time limit. So now they have to mm-hmm. shoot all these tiny micro films <laughs> for um, for promotion. Exactly. But let's exactly take, right. Let's yeah. take a, a step back and um, tell me where where did you grow up? I grew up in Orlando, Florida, more specifically Maitland and Winter Park, which is like a suburb of Orlando. And I spoke to your sister a couple of weeks ago, Cheryl Mann, yeah. and you guys have the same mother, yes. but you have different fathers. Yes. So you are Cheryl's half-sister, I guess yes. uh-huh. you would say, yeah. <laughs> technically. Yeah. So your father moved the family from Tennessee to Orlando. Yes. And did you spend any time in Tennessee at all, or were you born in Orlando, I spent, the Orlando area? I think I spent a year in Tennessee. <laughs> One first year of my life, maybe two. Okay. Yeah, so not not much time at all. So you grew up in the Orlando area, and I'm sure it was just heavily Disney-fied. <laughs> yes, my sister danced at Walt Disney World, so we would go every weekend to watch her perform, um, which made me a very spoiled child when it came to Disney. I would... I would go every weekend and finally I would just come to a point where I'm like, I don't want to go to Disney anymore, which is a crazy thing to say because like now I would love to go to Disney. And I actually ended up dancing for Disney myself years later. I'm still connected to Disney as a company. So, um, but oh, yeah, fun. it was, it was very, um, Disney-fied, Disney-centric kind of growing up. Uh, my brother worked there. We have two older brothers as well. And one of them worked at Disney as a ride attendant and later as a musician and then my sister danced there, and then I danced there. So we all we all were kind of tied to, to the big mouse. <laughs> I remember Cheryl saying that her mother is the one who really pushed her to go into dance. Did you go into dance because you saw Cheryl dancing, or was it also something your mom wanted you to have as a part of your life? We were really fortunate that our parents were very much... Um, encouraging us to go into what fulfills us as humans. Um, but a hundred percent, the reason I became a dancer is because I would go watch my sister perform and I wanted to be, I still want to be just like her. She's like my, you know, role model. So when she would be on stage in recitals, my two, three-year-old self would run down the aisle to the front row before the front seats, but in front of the stage and dance in front of whatever she was doing because I just wanted to be in front of people too just like her um but she was always and still is so encouraging of me in in dance and film and photography anything 
anything I do, she's my biggest cheerleader. So I've been really, really lucky in, in that way. I'm glad to hear it's not like a black swan or a, <laughs> a ballet. <laughs> no. Ballet stab you with a knife scenario. Oh, my gosh, no. no. It yeah. was for a minute in that uh, I felt like she was such a celebrity because she was on the cover of Dance Magazine and she was the principal dancer at one of the best companies in the country where in my late teens, early 20s, I felt like I was always in Cheryl's shadow. Oh, you're Cheryl Mann's sister. You're Cheryl Mann's sister. Um, but now I see what a blessing that was and is because a lot of the opportunities I've gotten is because my sister would say, oh, you need this? My sister does that. Or you need someone like this? And she's always been my biggest proponent and my biggest supporter and putting me out there for opportunities. So it's really been a huge blessing to be her sister. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Now, you also studied dance in college? Yeah. Where did you go to school? I went to Rollins College. Um, I actually went to my first year of college in Canada at York University, and September 11th happened like the first week I was there. So I Mm. transferred back home to be home. So I studied environmental studies and kind of emphasized in marine biology and had a minor in dance because I was no dance major. Um, And I did not think I was going to go into dance at all. Oh, I was just about to ask you, did you really think you're going to be a biologist? (laughs) I did. I did. I wanted to be a marine conservation biologist that focused on saving the oceans. So I went to school for that. I was an animal um, husbandry manager at the Orlando Science Center when I started auditioning for Disney just for fun, like as a side gig. I was like, I guess I could dance, you know, to make money on the side, but I'm going to get my PhD in marine conservation and go save the oceans. And I proceeded down that track quite a ways to where I was starting to take some postgraduate studies, and then I applied for my, I was going to look into applying for a PhD or master's program. And the week I really set to apply for that, I got into Lion King, the tour. So the universe was kind of like, yeah, that's nice, but you should go do this for a while. <laughs> so Yeah, we need more dancers than biologists. Yeah, I guess. I guess that was the message <laughs> from the universe at that Lofty point. Lofty goals, very honorable <laughs> intentions, yeah. right? But yeah. the dance gods were pulling you in another direction. hundred percent. Cheryl told me it all kind of happened by accident. So how did the Lion King gig come about? Um, I was dancing at Disney, uh, Walt Disney World. I had opened a show called Dream Along with Mickey, which was in front of the castle stage, which is so special to us because that's where Cheryl danced at Disney too. And then I was, the ultimate goal for me was to be the aerialist at Festival of the Lion King. There's like a bird roll, there's a beautiful pas de deux, and the, we fly. And that was my career goal. And I had gotten there and I'd been there for six months when one of my dance partners was like, oh, Lion King, the Broadway show's in town and they have auditions and you should go. And I was like, yeah, I won't get in, but I'll go because you're going just to go with you for fun. And I went to the audition just for fun. I used to take, I go to, I would go to auditions as if they were a free dance class because you warm up, you get to do a fun combination, you get to meet people and then you leave. So I went in that way and thought I blew it because I sang a song and my voice cracked. So I was like, well, didn't get that job. Um, and then two weeks later, they called me and a few of my other friends had gotten it. No other dancers got it. Um, female dancers 
all my other friends got called to the Vegas cast and I was the only person that got called to the national tour. Um, so it was mm. just, it was kind of just purely by accident. I just wanted to go. Now, did you have to sing? <laughs> yes. So the audition, oh, you have to do okay. this huge dance audition and then you have to come in and sing a song by yourself. And it's so funny because Murray, the uh, resident director, she, or the, she's like the supervising director of, of all the shows. She was so sweet because she su- must have seen the fear in my face because she said, it's okay. We know you're a dancer. We just have to make sure you can like carry a tune. And I was like, oh my gosh. Thanks. I was going to say, because I don't remember reading that you were a, have a singing background at all. I wouldn't say no. that I do. <laughs> we sing in The Lion King, but we are a multitude of like 45 right. people. You're on in the stage. chorus. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm sure my microphone was like on a two. Um, so I never would, never would put myself out there as a singer ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm always amazed at shows like that because it's, it takes so much athleticism and then you have to sing <laughs> like yep. Broadway level on yep. top of all that. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. yeah. It's, we have a lot of good singers around us too. So Lion King's interesting that we had like dancer heavy tracks that we had to sing in, but then there are singer heavy tracks that they have to dance in, move in. So they would bring in people that are stronger singers to enhance the singing tracks. And then we had dancers and all of us could sing, but I would never step out and do a solo in my life uh, singing wise. So um, yeah, Lion King kind of balanced it in that way. Yeah, I remember seeing it. It was so much fun. Oh, yeah. And the whole um, production was so kind of groundbreaking with the use of the puppets and everything. Oh, yeah. And it's still touring, right? It's still yeah. so popular. Yeah, it's, yeah. Now we're on the third national tour. I was on Gazelle. There was also the Cheetah tour. We named them like animals. And so this is the Rafiki tour. And I still have mm. quite a few friends. Uh, well, not right now, obviously. But <laughs> when it gets back to rolling, I will have a bunch of friends out there. So you um, were on the tour, and when did you decide to hang up your cheetah skates? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was actually decided for me when the first national tour closed. So after, I want to say, 17 years on the road, the first national tour closed and revamped to um, reconfigure how the tour is built and put out so that they could... I think it, I'm sure it was something financial, but it was something to figure out how to like make the show a little bit smaller and travel easier. Cause we were the largest national tour. I mean, we were like, I don't know, 21 semis and 110 people. It was just a huge show. Wow. So I think coming it's like up, the circus coming into town. Exactly. Exactly. We would be in Des Moines and I would know. So you'd see so many people walking around because there's so many of us there. So I'd see so many Lion King people walking around. Um, So they reconfigured the show in 2017. um, And so they made it smaller and they and they decided to go with the Rafiki tour. So the show ended. um, My show ended. And that was the time when I had already been like kind of studying film a little bit. But I thought that was a great opportunity to make a documentary about the closing of this huge historic national tour that we had all spent. I was on it eight and a half years. I knew people had been on it since day one. Eight and a half years. mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's like a bachelor's, master's, <laughs> yeah. PhD. I got a PhD got... in Lion King instead Ooh, of marine yeah. conservation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I, it was a really historic and pivotal moment for all of us. A lot of us had been there for that long and longer. Um, so they allowed me to make a documentary about it, which really changed the course of my life because I realized how much I loved telling stories in that medium. I didn't know that I would like doing something long form in that way. Cause I'd been doing like music videos for friends and cause I had a camera. I was a, always a photographer, but I realized photography and dance had a baby and it was film. And I was like, Oh, so mm-hmm. I get to dance with my camera. That's kind of cool. Um, so I'm shocked that Disney signed off on that. Yeah. Cause they're me too. so protective <laughs> of their, yeah. Intellectual property. Totally. Well, I think it was because I was in the company for so long and I, they would also have final oversight of the cut and it's for internal use only. Like they, they did pitch it to Disney oh, okay. plus, um, but it didn't go to Disney plus because Disney plus wanted very proactive looking forward things. And this was kind of a retrospective. Um, so they, um, they ended up having final oversight of it, but originally it was just going to air for the crew, the cast and crew of the closing of the, of the doc, of the tour. So it wasn't going to go anywhere um, until right. they saw it and then they tried to set, like make it go somewhere and it still didn't go anywhere, which is fine. Um, but it was really about this, how living on tour was actually the circle of life. I knew people that dated, got married, had a baby while on tour. I knew people that passed away while they were on tour. So Aww. we really hit every cycle of, of life. And so the documentary followed that and just kind of talked about how tour life is this weird bubble of existence that you don't understand unless you live in it and live in it for a significant amount of time. Um, So it was just kind of trying to capture that, mostly for my friends. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds... Can't see now I want to see it. So I hope one day... Someday, yeah. (laughs) Someday I'll let it air on Disney Plus or something. Yeah, That would be cool. They're always looking for content. (laughs) And then, um, let me see, I'm, I was going through your CV, and you did, um, back before you hit the Lion King, you did do work on a cruise line? Oh, yeah, yeah. As an aerialist. Yes, yeah. So that's different. <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how, do you, how do you become an aerialist? So that was my first... Is that first... trapeze? Yeah, that was my first job out of college. Um, so I... I was dancing, I was auditioning for things like just because it was a free class, essentially, and I got the cruise ship. And so I danced in the show, but then they trained me as an aerialist. So I flew to Vegas and trained with Foy, Flying by Foy, which are the people that innovated flying in shows in like Peter Pan and stuff. Um, So for that ship, I did a double point halo harness. So I had two wires attached to my hips. And then I was sitting inside like a giant ball bearing so I could flip forward and backwards, but then I could turn 360 degrees as well. Um, and that was for oh a piece. <laughs> yeah, that was for Tiny Dancer, a piece in the show that we did. So that was my first time as like an aerialist. Um, and then after that, I trained in like silk and lira and um, more double point harness work. So... Um, but yeah, that was my first my first gig as an aerialist, and I was like, oh, I like 
I like being up here. This is good. <laughs> Sounds like a really involved show for a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, cruise ship shows like, I are... Can't, I can't imagine. They can be like Broadway level. Like these, I was on wow. Royal Caribbean and their choreographers are like really amazing choreographers that are based in dance companies in Chicago. Um, so their dance quality is super high. And then wow. the stages are huge. Like they're gigantic stages because these cruise ships are bigger than life itself now. Um, right. So it, it could, it was a big production number. We had an uh, orchestra pit that lowered and raised and we had like motorized oh my gosh. winches for the flyers. And it's a full on, a full, a full stage on those wow. things. See, I, I could never do a cruise because I get motion sick. Oh, even people are like, you're not going to feel it. But I was like, no, I'll feel, it. feel I, it. I feel every little. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, now it, that sounds interesting. So hopefully after the pandemic passes, the cruise industry will be able to recuperate. Yeah, and get back together. Sure. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It was. I've never gone on one. I've just lived and worked on one for six months. <laughs> <laughs> never been a guest. Okay, so coming forward, you did the retrospective film for The Lion King. Mm -hmm. And then because they were revamping the show, did you f suddenly find yourself out of a job? Mm -hmm. Was yeah. your position cut? Yeah, they they released a certain number of the cast and crew. Um, oh, man. So, yeah, it was just kind of like, you know, suddenly I, I live in this RV that I bought because I live on tour and now I don't have anywhere to tour. So we kind of decided to make our own tour. I was going to go into teaching aerial arts. So we moved to Greenville, North or South Carolina for like six months. And I trained with an aerial teacher there and then it was the holidays. So I went home for the holidays um, and stayed in Orlando for a bit. And then we went to Albuquerque because we really liked Albuquerque when we were on tour. And because we live in an RV, we can just kind of go. Um, but I knew I had to get to L.A. Like, my sister's here, and, and there's no filmmakers in L.A., so it's a great place to... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I knew I had to get here. So um, we came to L.A. in 2018. Yeah, 2018. Wow. Okay. Not that long ago. No. Yeah. It was, it was right... Like two, two and a half years ago, yeah. So wait, you, because I imagine a touring company with those big buses and everybody living on the bus, but you're saying that you were touring in your own RV. Yes. So Lion King is special in so many ways, but they actually fly the company to each city. They truck our sets and our costumes and everything. Usually there's two sets of, well, when I was on tour, they had two sets of everything. I think Rafiki only has one set of everything, so they have to get to the next city. Um, for us, our sets would hop. So one stage we'd have in one city, we wouldn't see it again until two cities later, so they would have time. Um, so you could choose to fly. I, for the first three or four years, drove my Prius everywhere because I wanted to see like the world's largest ball of twine and the world's largest mm -hmm. frying pan. Like I'm interested in weird Americana like that. So I drove instead of flew. And then when my boyfriend joined me on tour, I just got tired of like schlepping all my stuff in and out of hotels. 
So we kind of toyed with the idea of buying an RV. We rented one for a city and we were like, this is it. So then we bought one and we've been in it ever since. We still live in it now because it's just easier. (laughs) So then after the Lion King finished and you found yourself, Mm -hmm. okay, what do I do now? What... (laughs) What gave you the idea to go into directing or making videos? It was really being able to finish that documentary and screen it and see the reaction of my friends uh, really enjoying something that I, you know, put a lot, a lot of time into. Um, And I just love telling stories. And I feel like I told stories with my dance for my whole career Disney on cruise ships at Lion King and now I had a set of tools to keep telling stories um, but I love the medium of film the the ephemeral nature of of performing on stage is that it's gone once you see it that's it if you didn't record it and even if you did record it, it's a different medium so I was fascinated by the idea of being able to capture moments that you know you could watch years and years and years later um, So I think that's what really pushed me towards going into, because a lot of people are like, oh, you could choreograph, you could set pieces now and you could do this. And I I appreciated that. And I did dance a little bit when I got here, like at the Hollywood Bowl, we did Beauty and the Beast and stuff like that. But really the idea of being able to capture something to pass on beyond when I'm here is really what I'm I'm kind of gravitating towards in my old age. (laughs) Hmm. The dancer old age, yeah. <laughs> which is like 30 maybe. <laughs> That's very kind. I'll leave it there. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. So, so I know that um, the Disney film must have been a really great calling card for you to show people, to get work. So did you have that in mind? You said, okay, I'm going to use this and I'm going to try to get work with this film that I've already made. No, because I couldn't show it no. to anyone. Okay. <laughs> oh, you couldn't show it to anybody, even like no, as a promo for yourself. Yeah. Like a like a two minute I could use oh, clips. Okay. Yes. I could use that. But no, I wasn't really using that to get work. Especially here, like I found it best to go back to the basics. I PA'd everywhere. I PA'd on every set I could. I actually loved being a PA because um, you get to do a little bit of everything. But I really just started from ground zero. Like, I'm a newbie. I don't know anything. I'm just going to PA on every set that I can. So how did you find positions? Like, I can't imagine, like, being brand new to the city and wanting to start PAing. Like, how do you even go about doing that? Yeah. Well, again, I have to thank my sister because she got me some opportunities more on the live side. Um, That's how I got the Mm -hmm. job being a live events producer. But in film, I went onto a bunch of like Facebook groups and um, Google groups that are for women in film or just looking for opportunities. And would anyone that was like, I need a PA, I need extra hands, I need this, I would just write them and be like, I'm here, I'm willing, I'm a quick learner, I have my driver's license, I'll work hard and be there for you. Was it a lot of working for free, though, at first? It was some working for free. kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah. it was a little bit, but not too much, thankfully. I met my producer and now business partner pretty early, and she is very ethical on paying people. So my first job ever actually was on her set, and I said I'd volunteer because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, you don't have to pay me. I'm just, 
I'm here to learn. And she insisted on paying me. And she paid me like a PA rate, which was fine. But um, so I kind of stuck good. with her. Yeah. Not a lot of people do that. Yeah. She's very, very, very ethical in, in all every way. But and that's why she's my producer, my business partner now, because she's just a great person. Okay, great. So you PA'd, you kind of learned how the hierarchy is on a set. And then did you decide, okay, I know what position I want to be now, <laughs> watching everybody in their departments. Kind of, yeah. I, you know, I'm going to go for directing. Yeah, I thought I wanted to be a DP because I was a photographer. So I was like, oh, this makes sense. Um, but the technical side of it, I'm so much more interested in the bigger picture of how everything ties together. Um, that every time I worked on something, you know, even small videos as a DP, I kept gravitating towards talking to the director and being like, well, you used red in that scene. So how about we have that through line go out and have pieces of red or just thinking about the bigger and bigger picture. And I was like, I don't think camera is a good fit for me because I keep trying to get out of my lane. So I originally tried to get into camera and didn't want to after that, um, and then kind of moved into directing, yeah, more. Um, and that just started by just kind of doing it. Everyone's like, how do you get started? How do you get started? And it's like, I just started shooting my friends, shooting my own stuff, like really, you know, on set. I would I would be an assistant director a lot of times and kind of do that thing where I'd cross, not cross the line, but I would be like, hey, here's an idea. And some of the producers would notice that I would have these overarching ideas. And one of them, the commercial director or commercial um, production company that I work for the most, was like, do you want to direct? And I was like, yes, <laughs> finally. Um, so I've been that's really, great. really fortunate. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing because people work a really long time to get that break. And it's great that you were able to be assertive yeah. and... <laughs> Yeah. Demonstrate that you had a vision, you know, and that you were like eager to learn and eager to do it. So that's and, and people were willing to give you a shot. So that's that's fantastic. That's the biggest part. Honestly, I'm so incredibly lucky. Like it's I'm really thankful for for everyone that's opened that door for me. Um, and I have to give all credit to them. Um, but it's also funny how you were like, I think you said something about speaking up my first I was an art PA on this one set and we had two crews running at the same time. And I was so like competitive in a fun way. I was like, we're going to shoot more commercials on this other crew. Cause it was like, they just gave us this slew of things to shoot. So I was the art PA. I would set up the next set and be like, okay guys, come on, come on. We got to keep going, keep going. And the producer came up to me and was like, do you want to AD instead of art PA? And I was like, not really, but I'll do it. So then I started ADing for that. Uh, production company and that's the one that uh, finally they were just like do you just want to direct because I just kept like not knowing I think was such a good thing because I didn't know what I was and wasn't supposed to do so I just kept doing what came naturally to me which was speaking up and pushing people and like trying to get them to you know work harder and more fun and have more fun on set and I think not knowing that that wasn't cool to do helped me <laughs> Yeah, no, usually it's like, yeah, people sort of know their place, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you're not supposed to directly talk to the director or you're not. Yeah, you're not supposed to give your opinion if you're not asked right. for it. 
Right. I had no idea. My dad always says you should use your, your um, not ignorance, but you should use your ignorance while you still have it because you just don't know what the limits are. And so you just kind of do whatever your heart leads you to. And, and that was a benefit in my, in my situation. Yeah, no, it, it definitely helped you um, yeah. <laughs> navigate that, that treacherous route up to kind of the top of the the filmmaking food chain yeah I mean I still have a long long way to go I'm still I still am a beginner I'm still green in a lot of ways so I'm I I always want to feel like I have a lot to learn forever like no matter what I'm doing or or what I'm trying to do I always want to get better and and learn how to be better at whatever I'm doing (laughs) so you partnered with a production company so you were working for them, you know, as a PA and then an AD, and then they just asked you to start directing. Mm-hmm. So were they working on just short commercials or were they already doing the whole so- films for social media? They, uh, it's an interesting company. It was started by a former executive at Airbnb, and he wanted to revolutionize production models by figuring out how to write very, very short scripts that are easily attainable in the production sense and shoot like 50 of them in a day. <laughs> so really, really cutting wow. down on overhead. Um, and it's a really tricky model. It's been, I've been working for them for like two and a half years now, and it's been hard to nail down and we've learned a lot working with them. Um, but they had just started. I was on one of their first sets as a PA. So they were a brand, brand new company when I signed on. And then I brought on my producer and we started to help them navigate you know, how, how to do it more efficiently and not burn out their crew and how to be respectful. And cause he just was totally new to production. And so was I. And thankfully my producer has 20 years of experience in production. So she kind of is training us all in how to, <laughs> how to do this. Um, so no, they just started doing that. And now they're doing more broadcast stuff and, and, uh, more stuff for TV, which is exciting, but yeah, they're still doing a lot of social media stuff all the time. So they're not technically commercials, though. No, they're like social media branded content, I think is the technical mm-hmm. term. So what would be an example for that? Um, like if you have a sneaker company or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've... Is it for companies or is it for different influencers that hire it's crews out? It's for companies. So like DoorDash hired us. We did an entire day of food shoots. And it's what you would see when you scroll through Instagram, like when ads, sponsored ads come up or in Instagram stories or on Facebook, like the ads that come up that either automatically play when you scroll onto it or you click on it and it takes you to the DoorDash page. Um, We've done some for Facebook uh, in all their regions. So we did like Facebook region, Africa, region, Middle East, South America, North America, Europe. Um, and so they deploy those to their certain markets to play, I guess, when you're scrolling through your phone, they're all for your phone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then the broadcast ones are, of course, broadcasts on, I assume, late night television. I don't know. (laughs) Right. And, but those are normal commercials. Yes. So yeah, we do broadcast commercials Yeah, for like Colgate or, you know, um, nutritional supplements. (laughs) Right. No, but that's great that you have, that you formed this relationship with this production company and so they are the ones that go out and try to hustle for work Mm -hmm. 
because they have the staff that can do the production part of it. Yeah, so they're like an, you're not having to do both. No, they're like an ad agency. So they'll secure the client, get the creative brief, get the um, assets from the corporate uh, marketing department, put together a marketing scheme, like all of these things that I don't know anything about. Um, and then they have creative directors that kind of design marketing campaigns. Then they come to us with scripts and they say, what, what are, what's feasible in these scripts? Could we go to a beach and the mountain in one day? And we're like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> or yes, we can do that. We just have to build you either a beach or a mountain, you know, um, right. it's all problem solving, <laughs> honestly. No, but that's good. Cause I know so many directors that went the route of going to film school and then trying to PA and stuff out of film school and then maybe writing on the side or trying to get a directing reel together, you know, and it's kind of a slow process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then trying to shop around your director reel or maybe get an agent mm -hmm. if you're lucky to get into a film festival to get some eyeballs on your film. Mm -hmm. So it's like a years and years yeah. long process yeah. of trying to you know, forge connections and um, establish relationships. And now it just seems like um, everything is just so fast paced. Yeah. You know, that like, yeah, you're a PA two years ago and now you're directing. Yeah. yeah. Like social media films for huge, <laughs> huge companies. Yeah. I've been so, so fortunate, like just just really, really lucky to have found young companies like like mm -hmm. like ready set they're called ready set yeah just starting out just starting out and just understanding that yeah okay so i didn't get paid for this gig but but you know like they're loyal and they'll call you back and you learned a lot and and always trying to be there for them and offer them help and assistance like pr connecting them to my producer um so that they can get you know more and more projects going and and just believing in people in, in a space where they are just starting out. They're not Fox. They're not NBC. They're not CBS yet, you know? Um, so you just kind of take a leap of faith and, and give them your time and your energy and, and hope it pays off. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely has. And like you said, it's kind of this sort of hybrid company now where it, it is an ag agency, but it's also doing the production as well. To a degree, and it's yeah. Overseeing, yeah. They kind of it's hire, kind of overseeing the production. Yeah, they hire like us exactly as the, what they want. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, they hire mm -hmm. us as the production company, um, but then they uh, we have to understand what the client needs and the client briefs. And I don't talk to the client, so um, I just execute what the vision is and help shape it. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's kind of the field I'm in, and that's what I'm doing for dance companies as well. I'm working with choreographers that have a vision, but their medium is not film. So I'll, I'll ingest the vision, really understand the vision and then try to enhance it. Like this last film, um, with Barack Ballet, she wanted a lot of wides. And I think the instinct to use a wide shot when you're a dancer is because you're so used to seeing it on stage far away, a hundred yards away. And so to insert my eye as a filmmaker and say, no, her face during this combray back she's really giving a lot of emotion. Let's really punch in there and see what we can get with a closer lens, with a movie, with this. Trying to translate that into this medium has been really fun and, and challenging and, and interesting. It's like translating a language, really. Right. I mean, 
you know, you you do want that full shot because you want to see the whole body of the dancer and how they do that. But yeah, because film is a more intimate medium, you do want to cut to close-ups. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you being a dancer, like, you know exactly when to do that. Yeah, that is helped. <laughs> like, you're not going to do a close-up at the most strenuous part of a, a leap or a jump to get that strained face. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, you definitely know, like, when to, to cut in for that close-up. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, that really So you're me. sort of moving away from these micro social media and commercials mm -hmm. and kind of going toward a more long form mm -hmm. Like more, are you, do you have feature films that you want to direct? Oh, do you see that yes, happening? For yeah. sure. Yeah. We're actually going to be, we were supposed to shoot our first short for our production company, Miko Mia Productions in April. And of course that did not happen. So we're still trying right. to see how to pivot it, but it's, you know, trying to figure out how many people can be on set at one time and how to get it all together. And then the restrictions are changing by the day. Um, we just feel like we want everything to kind of settle down and we'll continue to do this corporate work and this, you know, like to keep the lights on, um, do this awesome corporate work that we're doing, but our heart is definitely in narrative and we have a couple shows we're developing and pitching around town. So, um, we appreciate the commercial stuff we do, but it's definitely not the, the end of the road. That's, that's definitely the, a point along the path. <laughs> Now, is this you and your producing partner that are mm -hmm. coming up with show ideas to pitch? Okay. And is she the one finding the material to, to for like the scripts for your feature films? Yes. Um, so we have a bunch of, they're kind of like clients where they have shows, either they want to pitch around or are developing or have contacts and, and they want to, so we help them really solidify the concept we create a pitch deck we talk about how to pitch it um and then we talk about production costs so my producer um came from fox she was at fox for 15 years she was the associate producer for fantastic four and x-men and maze runner and planet of the apes so she has a huge experience in in budgeting and feature world and and all of that um so that helps when we're pitching shows because she can we flesh out the creative side with the client and that's what I focus on. And then she focuses on how to physically get it done logistically, budgetarily, um, timetable wise. And her brain just works like that. So I've been, again, very fortunate to find a partner who compliments me completely in every way. Cause I do not want to look at a spreadsheet or a budget or <laughs> any of that yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, no, no, that's good that, she that's her forte because you know with a lot of creative people <laughs> not that she's not creative but you know the more the the art school and the dance school types like exactly yeah yeah writing a budget would be very challenging yeah exactly and I've <laughs> I've now dragged her into the live side of that as well because we work for a company called Black Ink Presents and we're the producers for Disney at the Hollywood Bowl so we did Coco, which is now on Disney Plus, and Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Willy Wonka and all these other shows. But now we're doing these filming hybrid things. So I'll produce the live side of it with Black Ink, and then Allison is is leading up the 
filming side of it to pitch to Disney Plus and Netflix and things like that. So Coco, we worked with a different company to do that, but we're moving into the space where we're we're doing both. So I dragged her into the live side too, and she's kind of teaching me the film side. So. so how does that work if you if they're doing the Coco live show mm-hmm. at the Hollywood Bowl? And you guys have multiple camera setups and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you're just filming everything. What is the filmed part of it then? It So Coco uh, was last Halloween and we play the movie on iMag. And then we have performers come out and dance and do some of the lines. We had some of the stars from the show. Eva Longoria and Benjamin Bratt kind of like hosted and we talked about Mexican culture. So the filmed portion of the show is all the live uh, portions of it. So we didn't show... When you watch it on Disney Plus, which I highly encourage everyone to do, it's not Coco the movie. It's all the live elements. So you'll see, um, you know, the some of the live scenes happening. Like La Llorona, we had Alana Obak sing that live, and she's the actor that did that. So instead of watching the movie part, you watch just her come out on stage and sing that and perform that as the character. Um, so that kind of how we blended that together and then your friend Allison what's her part of producing these live shows so for that live show we weren't filming it yet but in the future we are the head of the filming department for Black Ink Presents so she'll be putting together all the filming side for our future shows like we were going to do Nightmare Before Christmas this year um, at the Hollywood Bowl Mm. and we would have you know she would have led the filming team on that um, in theory, oh, I mean, been so fun. it didn't even get far enough down the road to to be a real thing. So um, okay. hopefully that'll Fingers come back. Fingers crossed for next I know, year. The, the season kind of ended quickly. So, yeah. So you have all these irons in the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of things going on at once. But I'm very, very lucky to be surrounded by the people that I am to be supported and encouraged and given these opportunities like I'm so thankful right because you're using all your experience you know all the dance experience and all the show experience putting on a show you know performing and everything and now you can use all that to go behind the camera exactly yeah and help translate that that's the goal so (laughs) Good luck with everything, Thank you. Selena. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking time to talk yeah, to us. Yeah, no, I appreciate being here. And I love I love the concept of the show. And thanks for having me and my sister. Um, yes. Half of our family. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, this is awesome. So it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you too. And good luck with everything. Thank you. Okay, before we go, I just wanted to highlight two things that Selena mentioned that I think would be great advice for all of us in this new year. So number one would be to just try because you never know what's going to happen. She went into that Lion King audition and she came out eight and a half years later. It's pretty amazing. So just Turn down that fear of failure, that perfectionism, lower your expectations, and just try something. Just try it just to try it. You know, who cares? 
what the result's going to be. Just do it for the experience. The second one would be assertiveness. I feel like we all can cultivate our own brand of assertiveness if you already are not that kind of person, because I sure need help in that regard. So just cultivate your own brand of assertiveness. You know, my assertiveness is not going to look like your assertiveness. But one thing that it has in common with everybody else's is that there is a sense of confidence and competence to what's backing up your ideas. So I think just learning how to share our ideas with confidence in our own way will go a long way to helping us get to the places we want to get to in this new year. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out. Um, And if you have time, if you could review, that would be great. That just helps people find the podcast in whatever directory they're in. And um, subscribe, you know, then you'll get the new one without having to look for it. Everyone, take care. Stay safe. 